these go as we open to 1 Corinthians 12. So, four to ten-year-olds, you guys can giddy on up back there. And thank you to our faithful teachers back there teaching these kids. That's great. So 1 Corinthians 12, and some of you may be wondering why we didn't finish chapter 11, or maybe you're not wondering that. Either way, let me explain to you what exactly is going on. Um, So the end of chapter 11 is about communion, about the way God's people come together to celebrate the body and blood of Jesus. And so because of that, we're going to wait until... March 1st, the first Sunday of the month, when we do communion, to look at the end of chapter 11. And the way that we're going to do communion on March 1st is going to be different. Now, we talked about this a while back, so maybe it slipped off the radar for some of you, but we're going to do something a little different with communion in two weeks. It's going to be a more interactive communion, and the purpose is for us to participate with one another in communion in a very prayerful way. Now, I'm assuming prayer is very much a part of our communion all the time, but oftentimes we're not necessarily participating with one another in it, are we? So this is not going to be a new normal. This is something we're going to do, and we may do it again from time to time. But what it's going to be is the elements are going to be up front with an elder, and in a semi-orderly way, you're going to have the chance to come down the center aisles partake of the communion here, or you can take it back to your seats. And then after partaking of the communion here, you'll have a chance to go to the back of the sanctuary and pray with people who will be standing there. Or you can go back to your seats. You can pray with people you're sitting next to, or you can just pray on your own like you normally do. Whatever works. But it's going to be an opportunity for you to do this with other people, to be more active, more engaged with the people you're taking communion with. And so I know that'll be a little bit chaotic. It'll be something new. And there are disadvantages to this because people are going to be moving and it's not going to be as quiet and still as normal. That's the disadvantage. But the advantage is is that I want you to picture this image. So there's the cross in our sanctuary, right? And you're going to have a chance to be standing up and walking with people down this aisle to celebrate the body and blood of Jesus as all of us are walking forward toward the cross. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So it's going to be different and unusual and maybe a little distracting. But I hope that the advantages will also be something that's precious and helpful for you all. And so we'll be able to look at the passage about communion and sharing communion that way together, shoulder to shoulder, And hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. But that's what's coming on March 1st. We'll keep talking about that and preparing you for that, about how it looks and how it works so it's not too too upsetting for us. And that'll happen in two weeks on March 1st. So because of that, we're skipping the end of 11. We'll get back to it. And we're moving right into chapter 12 here. So in 1 Corinthians 12, um, does your Bible have a heading for this chapter? If so, it probably says something about spiritual gifts, right? How many, you got that heading in your Bible? Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, that's fine. 
This passage is talking about spiritual gifts, but mainly what I want you to see at the heart of this passage is the Holy Spirit. Not the gifts, but the giver. And at the heart of this passage, there are actually two verses. We'll be going through the first 13 verses, but there are two verses that actually really stand out as the heart of what this passage is about. And we'll look at those and read those right now before we read the whole thing, because I want you to see what's at the heart of it. So verse 11, now to each one, each person in the body of Christ, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then skip on down to verse 11. All these gifts that are given are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one of us just as he determines to do it. So that reality is kind of the, the, the tone, the attitude, the environment in which all of these verses need to be read. This is the Spirit's doing and work in us, through us. And so let's read the whole chapter, and then we'll talk about what it is that we're going to focus on this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So, as we said before, primarily this, this is about the Holy Spirit. It's about Him, what He's doing for all of us through what He is working in all of us. So, what this passage is, is it's an invitation or maybe even an expectation for everyone in here who's a follower of Christ to be fully engaged with the Holy Spirit, who is also, incidentally, fully engaged with us every minute of every day, right? We're living and walking by the Spirit. He's producing fruit in us. We read that in Galatians, right? And so every day is a day to walk with the Spirit, to live with the Spirit, to know that His presence and power is working in us. 
So at the end of the text, we'll start there. It talked about how we are placed in the body of Christ. We're all different, but we're all part of one body. We've been baptized by the Spirit, meaning he is the one who has placed us in the body of Christ. So think about this, and this is where we're headed this morning. If you are part of the body of Christ, that is by divine appointment. He has done that on purpose. It's not incidental or accidental. It's very much intentional. We know that, right? But if that's the case, then since he draws us into the body, that means he will also activate us for his work in the body as well. He activates you to do his work. I love that idea of being activated, right? It, it has the idea of triggering or sparking something into action to bring something to life that wasn't very full of life, right? To energize something that lacked energy. That's what the Spirit does. He activates us for the work that he wants us to do. Uh, think about this. Um, think about the kinds of resources we use uh, we dig up from the ground coal and oil, right, and natural gas. And we use these things to power entire cities and powering vehicles that we use to transport ourselves around town or around the world. But I mean, coal, really? Have you ever touched coal? I'm from Tennessee, so I have. And it's kind of dirty and filthy and seemingly useless. Now, for all you smart people, don't come up after and tell me the 10 uses of coal. I don't want to hear it. Don't ruin my illustration. But yet, coal, this dirty, filthy substance dug out of the ground and then useful to power something. And it's amazing what can be done with it, right? Think about natural gas. It's mostly methane, which is actually toxic to us. And yet, I've got pipes in my house that are piping it through because it's an efficient useful thing to power my furnace. Isn't that amazing? These things, substances, can be activated for really useful means. That's exactly what the Spirit of God does with us. So what is this baptism of the Spirit into the body then? Think about it this way, because if we're going to see the Spirit, let's see the big picture of what the Spirit is doing. If you remember in John, it says the Spirit was sent by Jesus Right? When Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to his people for what purpose? One, to bring us together as his own people. That's what this is talking about. Baptized by the Spirit, he brought us together to be his people. And then he keeps us together. It's the Spirit who maintains the unity of his body, right? And not only does he bring us together and keep us together, but then he's taking us into the world together to be able to share the good news about Jesus. The good news we know we get to share to other people through the power of the Spirit of God. Acts 1, right? Isn't that awesome? The Spirit's doing all of that. That's what he's about. And if the Spirit's in you, then guess what? That's what you're about too. You get to be a part of that bringing together, keeping together, and going into the world. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You're not a bystander. You're a full participant because of the Holy Spirit. So, Let's consider this because it's very possible to fully embrace and agree with everything I've just said about the Holy Spirit and at the same time have some doubt 
about your usefulness in the body of Christ, whether or not you've truly been given gifts that are helpful to us, right? We all kind of face that doubt about our own capacity, ability to do things, and yet we can embrace the right theology at the same time. That's a struggle, isn't it? So let me just throw some ideas out there about what some of our questions and doubts might look like, because I want you to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with what's going on in our heart as we encounter the word here, right? So maybe, maybe some of us feel like we don't have a real good grasp on what kind of spiritual gifts that God has given us. Well, I'm, I'm trying to serve and do good things, but as far as spiritual gifts and the things that are listed in the Bible, I don't quite know what it is that he has given me the capacity to do. Some of that may just be because you're young or you're new in the faith or maybe you've been serving in the body a long time and it just doesn't seem to be overly useful or effective. You know, I, I don't know, but it's a real doubt, isn't it? What about this? Uh, I don't know how to use best the gifts he's given me. I don't think I can. I mean, what I seem to be doing doesn't necessarily fit the structure of Tabor and the ministry teams that we've assigned to things. And so I don't quite know how all of that works together. Maybe I don't fit neatly onto one of those ministry teams. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. You know, I'm doing a lot of other good things. I'm taking care of my family, and I'm earning a living, and I'm trying to disciple my children and be a good spouse, and, you know, I don't quite know where the time is for me to use some of these gifts with the rest of the body. I do when I can, but just doesn't seem to be a real priority, and I feel a bit of shame about that, but I am busy doing all these other things. I'm not trying to assign legitimacy to any of this. Some of those questions are fairly legitimate. Some of them, maybe not so much, right? But what I would encourage you to do is just look in your heart to make sure it's not one of these things. Make sure that your doubts and your questions are not because of a a subtle rebellion, You'd rather just do what you want to do than maybe exercise the gifts that the Spirit has given you. Here's how I would like you to serve. I don't know about that. I I really enjoy this over here, right? Um, I hope that what's going on in our hearts is not ignorance. And fair enough if it is, but listen, if the Spirit has a very intentional work to do with you through these spiritual gifts then even if you don't know, isn't that a call to try to know? If we are in ignorance, let's not stay there, right? If it's that important, then I want to find the answers from him and get going with it. I hope that it's not distraction. There are a lot of good things to be done, right? Good news to share, disciples to be made, But don't be so distracted by things that we're not exercising these spiritual gifts. I hope you're not discouraged. Maybe some of you are. Maybe you've been putting your hand to the plow and working hard, and it seems to amount to nothing. I'm doing all this, but to what effect? I don't see it being very useful, so why keep grinding when I'm just beating my head against the wall, right? I mean, it's easy to feel that way, isn't it? Or maybe you're just tired. I've been doing this for decades. Can't I just have a break, right? I I don't know what's going on in your heart. Only God does, and I I don't mean any of that to be shame. 
I just want to bring some things to the surface so that we can think about it, pray about it, explore what's going on in our hearts. Because I don't know about you, but I often find mixed motivations going on in my heart, some good motivations and not so good motivations kind of existing together. And so examining what's going on in there is always a good thing. But here's what Paul says. I I want you to know about the Spirit's work. I want you to know about these spiritual gifts. That's how he starts off chapter 12, right? And so what do we need to know about spiritual gifts? In the face of what we know about the Spirit, in the face of our doubts and questions, where do we go from here? Well, the first thing to know is that that's exactly what he starts with. I want you to know about what comes from the Spirit. That's literally what he's saying there about spiritual gifts in verse 1. I want you to know what's coming from him. And he goes on in verse 4. Different kinds of gifts, the same Lord. Different kinds of service and working, but the same Lord, the same God. And so here's the key. The starting point is it all does come from him, right? Whatever you've got, whatever it is you're supposed to use, no matter how great or how small, it all comes from him. What's listed here, what's not listed here, it's sourced and it's powered by the Holy Spirit of God. So his presence is in us, and he's bestowing things on us, and he's activating in us, and he's building all of us, and the Spirit of God is doing all of that. Let's not be ignorant about that. Let's not look that over. That is not inconsequential. That's a big deal. So it starts with him. It starts with his work, and his work is through what the text calls spiritual gifts in verse 4, right? I love this because that word gifts, um, for whatever we might think it means, it's actually from the root word for grace, charis. That's the word there. So the Spirit is giving grace. So instead of spiritual gifts, I like to call it tangible grace. You don't have to call it that. I'm just saying that's the idea that comes to my mind based on what that word means. The Spirit gives you tangible grace to exercise in the lives of other people. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So these gifts are kindly and willingly bestowed on you as an unearned blessing. That's what grace is, right? It's an unearned blessing. So think of gifts not in the sense of, oh, I'm the child on Christmas morning and I'm getting these things that are for me, right? And teaching and prophecy and all of these faith and all these other things, they're for me and I get to enjoy this. Well, it's not exactly it. It's not like the child on Christmas morning. It's actually more like the server at a restaurant. Have any of you ever been involved in food service or you are now? Have you done that? I was a, I was a server at Pizza Hut in high school, right? And so these delicious pizzas are made in the oven and then I simply take them to the people at the table and I don't get to eat the pizza, right? I'm not eating it on the way. I don't get to sit down and eat it with them, regrettably. I eat plenty of pizza, mind you. Don't, don't get me wrong. But my job was to take what was made and produced and to simply hand it over to somebody else who got to enjoy it. When you think about it, that's not a great job, is it? But it's important, isn't it? The getting the pizza there to the people who are going to enjoy it is an important task. It's necessary and it's good actually. And that's actually kind of what spiritual gifts should be thought of as. It's not something I'm actually receiving. I'm not the recipient. 
I'm the distributor. I'm the conduit, the bridge, the delivery guy, if you will. That's what it is. So in that sense, it kind of keeps me humble, right? Whatever, how many ever gifts I have or how great they are, it's not for me. It's for other people. I'm just distributing. It's for other people to enjoy. It's for the health of the body, which incidentally, the health of the body is also my health as well. So it's kind of beautiful how that all works together, isn't it? And listen, even though I'm deeply flawed, I am, we all are, right? I'm imperfectly stewarding his graces. All that's true, but I'm still a factor in the healthy functioning of the body with one another in this world. Isn't that beautiful? As broken and messed up as we are, as much as we're stumbling along in the journey, the Spirit's still using us to be a blessing to the body of Christ and this world around us. Using imperfect vessels is a beautiful thing, isn't it? So, the gifts are meant to adorn the bride. Isn't that great? To make her beautiful in His sight as a giving, serving, other-centered body of Christ. That's what spiritual gifts are for. They're to equip and enable the body like tools for the woodworker in a shop, like supplies for the soldier who's being sent to the front lines. That's what gifts are for. They're from the Spirit. It's His work through us to other people for their benefit, for their good. That's what the common good is, right? The, the advantage of others is literally what that means. What a beautiful picture of how this whole thing works with the Spirit in all of us. Now, I can't go on about some of these gifts in the rest of the passage without saying something about, are all of these gifts still supplied to us now, right? Because we were reading about miracles and healings and tongues and prophecy and some of these gifts that are a little unusual and maybe a little scary. Um, Are all of those really useful for now, or were they just used in the New Testament? Um, Frankly, I don't want to get a lot into this. I'll try to say as little as I can about it. Because there are two views, both very legitimate. Some people think these, some of these works that are more miraculous, some of these gifts were more for signs uh, and, and are no longer needed today. The, the purpose of those gifts was temporary and completed back in the time of the New Testament, not necessary for today. That's one view. Others would say, no, uh, it seems that these gifts continue on. And part of that is because Paul is talking to the New Testament church, to the Corinthians who are not apostles. He's telling them, this is what they're for, and this is actually how you should do them in the church. And in fact, there aren't term limits on this. It is going to be useful for the church. Um, Again, there's healthy debate on that. Wherever you land on that, it's not really uh, worth arguing about. It's worth discussing. But um, personally, I'll just share with you, I tend to land on the side that says that these gifts do continue on for today. Um, that they are useful for now. I do agree that some of these gifts were used in extraordinary ways. They were confirmational signs through the life of the apostles about this new covenant, right? And for an unusual inbreaking of the gospel into the world through the New Testament. I do agree with that. I just don't think that's the only scope and purpose of some of these gifts. And in fact, why Paul's instructing the people in Corinth about it. And later on in chapter 13, He'll say some of these gifts will end up ceasing. They will cease. But he seems to suggest that they'll cease when Jesus does come back. Not necessarily when the apostolic ministry in the New Testament was complete. So anyhow, good discussion for later on. But I just wanted you to understand where I'm coming from. (laughs) Um, Because as I talk about these things, it kind of doesn't make sense. 
if we're not actually doing these things today. So, that being said, let's dive into a few of these gifts and how we might understand them because um, that's kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the room, right? What about healings and miracles? What is up with that? I don't see them happening at Tabor. Should they be happening at Tabor? Well, first of all, let's get a little bit of understanding about what these might mean. So first of all, you see the... um, Sorry, I'm on the wrong page here. Uh, so first of all, you see the, um, in verse 8, the, uh, the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge. I don't see much difference in those, but listen, you do see how people can communicate in an extraordinary way, whether it's ideas and truth or just they just have relational street smarts. And so God has gifted people that way, hasn't he? He's also given a gift of faith. And I want you to understand, I don't think faith there is talking about faith in which you Um, experience salvation in Jesus. We all have that faith. What I would suggest here is the faith for some is, um, how do I describe this best? I think it's a robust kind of faith that is an example for the rest of the body, an unusual kind of faith that people can look up to and be encouraged by. And again, not that those people don't struggle and stumble, naturally not, but it's, it's something significant in the life of the body that spurs other on and sets an example for them. Um, what about gifts of healing? How does that work? Because normally and commonly it's associated in the Bible with a person being healed of a physical malady. And that can happen. That is, that is true. It does happen in the Bible. I, I think it still happens today. But, but the gifts of healings, plural here, um, is significant in that I think while it can include the physical healing of somebody who has some sort of disease or struggle like that, I believe there's something broader and bigger in scope in mind there. And the reason I think that is because of the way that word is used in other parts of Scripture. It's not just talking about somebody who was healed of a disease or physical issue. It also talks about people who are healed from the power of the devil. It talks about people who are oppressed and with dull hearts. It talks about by his wounds we are healed. There's spiritual remedy involved there. So that word used in scripture and other places is very broad meaning. It's not just physical issues. So I do think that gifts of healings can deal with psychological, emotional, physical, spiritual issues in people's lives, and that certain people are equipped to enter into people's lives and begin to encourage them in those issues. That's what I would suggest is meant there. And then lastly, the idea of miracles. Well, that word miracles literally just power, inherent power like God's power. So how that could literally be read is the effective working of God's power which again, can be very miraculous. Uh, The pastor of a church um, that I went to in Tennessee, his wife had cancer for a number of years and people in the body were praying about it and it didn't get healed, it didn't get healed. And then she was um, at a point where all medical science could explain was that there's no other treatment for this. You've done all the treatment. Now it's just a matter of time before you die. We're so sorry. It got to that point. But as the body kept praying, one day she went in for an appointment and they said, it's gone. Your cancer's gone. There's no way to medically explain this. It's gone. Miraculous power, right? 
Now, was that just because God does that apart from people's prayer or involvement? Well, that's certainly possible. Was it because certain people were praying and because they've been gifted with healing? I don't know. I don't know the actual root cause of that. I just know that God did it. He involved other people in praying about it. Okay. But if it truly is broader than that in terms of the effective working of, excuse me, of God's power, I would also suggest it could be this. It could be that church planting effort in India where the gospel had been told over and over and over again to people and nothing was happening and suddenly people begin coming to know Christ and churches are formed and those churches begin to multiply through quite ordinary means. People are simply sharing the good news about Jesus and suddenly, without real explanation, it takes off. Just read recently about a church that was revitalized in Maine for hundreds of years. It was just kind of dwindling down to nothing. And simply through simple teaching of humble, true words of the Bible, suddenly this church took off and it's growing and people in the community are being influenced for Jesus. Well, how do you explain that? The effective working of God's power. It had to be God's power. There's no other explanation for it, right? I think that's at the heart of what miraculous powers are. And then there's the discerning of the spirits. You know, there's lots of spiritual work going on. Not all of it's of the Holy Spirit, right? We know that there are other powers at work in this world, but it seems that some people are gifted to, to be in tune with that, to know if these things are of the Spirit of God or not. But even bigger than that, let me end here. How about us? What if we don't necessarily have the gift of discernment, but how do we know if these gifts are actually being used by the Holy Spirit? or some other spirit, or just because of the desire of people to look good. How do we know if this is something the Spirit of God is doing? Well, the text actually gives us some indications. Number one, look back at verse two. So no one can say Jesus is Lord except how? By the Holy Spirit of God. If your thought and your life and your words, if they're all exuding Jesus Christ, then how does that happen? By the Spirit. Your gospel-focused life is evidence that the Spirit of God is at work. So as we look around at the body and we see people who are living in tune with Jesus, we can know that, oh, the Spirit of God is at work in them. It's not just that. So a kind of a gospel-focused life, someone you know, that there's a legitimate relationship with Jesus here. That's one way. Another way is that they're plugged into the rest of the body. They're doing body life. Did you see verse 7? We didn't get into this yet, but verse 7 says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Manifestation is simply something that is made known or visible. So when we exercise these graces that the Spirit has given us, we're in some sense making the Spirit visible to other people. So when you see the people of God active in the lives of other people of God, guess who's at work? The Spirit of God. He's actually visible somehow in that. So people who know and love Jesus and are actively involved with his people, those are some big-time clues that this person's actually operating in the Spirit of God and not some other spirit. 
right? But what about us? That's looking around at other people, but as I look at myself, I, I hope that we can examine ourselves and see what opportunities the Spirit is giving us. Is that something that comes to your mind often about how you can distribute his grace to other people? I'll tell you, ministry teams is a great way to do that. Definitely not the only way. There are lots of other ways to exercise the grace he's given you. But ministry teams is certainly a, an awesome way to do that. So I'd encourage you to think about that. We'll be looking at that a little bit more next week. So I don't want to get into that too much. But here's something else I want to share with you. You might have seen this on Facebook, and I talked to Hope about it, but Hope Troy gave a wonderful testimony of God's people gracing her life. And I just want to read this to you for a minute. And if you want to share a testimony of how God's done that, we'll take a minute or two for you to do that as well. But listen to this. This is from Hope. And I've edited it just a little bit with her permission, of course. But listen to this. Many of you knew and prayed for me as I traveled back to China from December 5th to January 15th. My dad was diagnosed with liver cancer last October. And the doctors didn't suggest an operation on him and weren't expecting him to live longer than three to five months. So after many prayers and plan changes, we decided that I would travel alone and stay with my family in China for 40 days. So Hope left to go to China. Willis and Paul stayed here. Now listen to her testimony about what happened during this time. Our church family allowed us to make the decision for me to go by myself. The ladies from the woman's Bible study prayed with me and for me as we were making all the decisions. You all also promised to help my husband and son while I was gone. It was so comforting to put up phone numbers of Tabor people on our fridge for my husband to call whenever he needed. Thank you for feeding them either at your homes or delivering, delivering food to our door. When I could do video chat with my husband, it was so encouraging to hear him talking about his time at Sunday school class and attending service. Thank you for checking and loving him so well. And in regard to our son, Paul, he isn't speaking much Chinese anymore, but he also keeps asking us to take him to the homes of different people at Tabor that he has been used to seeing. A couple days after I arrived back in Indiana, we received a surprise with my name on it. It was a blanket printed with the words of amazing grace. We were wondering where it came from when we received a card sent by the care team from our church. Now, while that's happening, in the midst of that, listen to this part too. During her time in China, gratefully, I was able to spend a week with my dad, hold his hand, hear him joke for one last time and lay beside him, read scriptures to him and tell him one, once more about Jesus Christ and his eternal life. I was strong enough to tell my dad to ask Jesus and only Jesus, to take him home whenever he was ready. My dad's quick passing also left me a whole month to spend with family and accompany them on their journey of grief. My mom has been doing her best to accept her husband's passing. This past week, she has started drawing and copying the scriptures and has found it helpful for her quiet time. And she ended by this. This is beautiful. Tabor Church family, I can't thank you enough for loving us so well. We love you too. Whatever we think about all these different spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to work in the body, it's not a beautiful story of they just do. It can be so simple in what is required of us, but it works. And through that, God's people love each other. And through that, the world sees a witness of the love of Jesus that is for them as well. Would any of you 
I'd like to share just a really brief testimony about God's grace through somebody else that ministered to you. Their spiritual gifts were used in your life. Anyone have a testimony like that? That's okay. You don't have to share right now. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Think about that and share that with somebody this week. Do it today at lunch. Do it some other time through this week, but share with somebody. God did this through somebody else. Their spiritual gifts were useful in my life. Praise Jesus for that. And that way, encourage each other, remind each other. Because for some of you, I hope this is just, actually for most of you, this is, is probably just an encouragement. Encouragement to keep going. Keep experiencing and passing along the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. For some of you, maybe this is an invitation. Invitation to step up. Step into the Spirit and let Him use you more and more in people's lives. The worship team is going to come and we're just going to sing one more song to close. But let's just pray. Appreciate the work of the Spirit in your life. And ask Him to keep strengthening you for this. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your spirit to do a wonderful work in our lives and in the body of Christ. Thank you for putting us in the body of Christ so that we could be part of your family. Thank you for powering us in ministry so that nothing we have or do is of our own strength. It's all from you. We praise you for that, Lord. Thank you. Now give us the courage to keep going, whether we're tired, distracted, maybe unsure maybe just lacking confidence. Whatever it is that's going on in us, we trust you, Holy Spirit, to well up within us the understanding of just how powerful you are, just how willing and desiring you are to work in us. And remind us how much we're needed, not to stroke our own ego, but simply to remember that we are necessary in this body because you've decided that's true and you want to work through us. We praise you, Lord, for all the work you've already done through us and the work we've seen done in our lives because of other people. We're so thankful for how your body works and the effects that have happened in our life. Thank you, Jesus. And we praise you as well, Holy Spirit, for your amazing work. Praise things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And with me, we're going to sing the third verse of Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, which celebrates what God has given us. Have a great day.